excited to be here today. And as uh, Rona mentioned, I am the executive director of worship. It's a big title. Uh, it means basically what Rona said it means uh, on a primary basis, at least. And I was really excited to come here and worship with you all and to see uh, Bo firsthand lead praise for the first time, actually. I've never actually seen her lead a praise set before. And so that's part of why I'm making my rounds or trying to make my rounds to different places to uh, see what's going on, to be a part of what's going on. And I was running a bit late. I had to go to the bathroom really bad when I got here, but I was a little bit late. And I was like, no, I must be there for praise. I must be there to worship with SNU. I'll go to the bathroom later. It'll be okay. But uh, So I missed part of what Rona was saying after because I had to go to the bathroom. Uh, but fantastic to worship with you guys. Are you guys enjoying the presence of the Lord here? And every time I come here, I, I sense a thick presence of the Lord. There's a really sweet very real presence of the Lord when I come to large groups. And actually, I haven't been for a little while. It's been uh, two or three semesters since I've been here with you guys. Um, but when I come, I love worshiping here. The last time I was here, actually, Johnny was leading praise it was a couple semesters ago. And, uh, and I rarely get the chance to just uh, not think about too much, not like, be thinking this needs to change, that needs to change, this should be this way, I need to address this later, uh, and just get lost in the place of praise. And uh, I allowed myself to do it then, and tonight I was allowing myself to do that too. And there are things that I'll, you know, Bo and I will talk through later in terms of how things went, but I was just enjoying the presence of the Lord and worshiping with you. So, very good to do that. I was at KU uh, a couple of weeks ago, had a great time there. I, I told them, I, I don't want to talk behind your back, so I'm just going to let you know what I told them at KU. I told them that they have the most beautiful college campus in Seoul. Okay? Now, don't get offended by that. That's just my honest opinion. If you've been to KU, it's a very beautiful campus, right? SNU is beautiful, but KU is, you know, very beautiful. However, what's really special about SNU, more than anything else to me, is that because your uh, new Philly campus is Shilim, you're, you're like my people. You, for, for those of you at New Philly, for those of you who are you know, members there, uh, you're Shilamites, you know? Whether you want to be that or not, that's who you are. It's a family, the larger family that you're a part of, and I'm part of that family with you. And so that makes it special for me to be here with you beyond any other Emmaus campus. I love Yonsei. I love KU, but this is, you know, a closer family here because we're all in this at Shilim together. So how many of you guys are going to the leadership retreat, by the way, in, in a couple of weeks, man, it is going to be good. It is going to be really good. You will not. Yeah. You will not regret going. I guarantee you that, um, uh, be looking forward to it. Anyways, a little bit more about me. If you didn't know, you probably know because you're at Shulam anyways, uh, for, for a lot of you. But I have a beautiful wife. Her name is Anita, and she's one of the pastors at New Philly. I also have a beautiful daughter, a beautiful half Korean, half white little girl like Michelle. Uh, and uh, her name, yeah, her name is Olivia, and uh, I am, 
you know, the, the least beautiful member of my immediate family. I've got a beautiful wife, beautiful daughter, and uh, I have inward beauty. Uh, oh, thank you. Yeah, Pastor Christian talked about that a couple weeks ago, right? Inner beauty leads to, you know, outer transformation. So I believe in being transformed as the inner beauty comes out. Uh, but yes, I was, um, the last time I came and preached here, I preached, I had kind of a provocative type of title when I preached here. For those of you who were here, uh, I preached a, a message called run naked. I think that's what I finally called it, right? Run naked. Um, that might sound very strange to you. Like what kind of message is that? Where is that in the Bible? I don't remember reading that in the Bible. Uh, it's out of Hebrews 12. You can look at it later. Uh, it doesn't use those words, but it uses that imagery. Uh, and you can go back and listen to that podcast later if you'd like. Uh, I want to preach on something that is, I guess, a little bit less provocative in a sense tonight as I understand my place in Emmaus preaching. Now, what I realized as well when I went to KU a couple weeks ago is that as I look through the schedule of the preachers, and maybe you saw this on Facebook, I think uh, uh, Jay, he mentioned this in a hashtag on Facebook, but I realized that for this entire year, I am the oldest person who will preach at Emmaus all year. Yeah, I, I'm older than you might think. <laughs> and, uh, I look young. That's, that's grace from the Lord. I, people typically think I'm younger than I am. Uh, I had a birthday a couple weeks ago, and I turned a year older at that point. And, and I was, when I was preparing for the KU message, I was thinking, man, how, how do I connect with this young generation of people, you know, with college age students, you know, what do I do? I'm, I'm further removed every year, you know, I age. And, uh, and I was thinking about, you know, how to, you know, I guess push it too much to connect with the students. And the Lord confronted me and he said, John, just be yourself. And I feel the same thing for you tonight. And so I want to preach in a kind of older person slash uncle type of way. I have, in, in the New Philly office, people, sometimes they, they call me, instead of calling me John, they, they call me Uncle John. It happens every now and then. Because I have, like, like PC is the father, and, uh, like, he's, you know, he's older than, you know, the other people on staff as well. And uh, I guess I kind of have that vibe about me sometimes. And so... I want to preach on something that the Lord has been laying on my heart for you as a community about things I wish I would have understood more clearly when I was younger, when I was your age, when I was in college, things that, that I know would have changed the way that I lived had I known them and received them and embraced them when I was younger. And in that flow, the Lord has led me to 2 Corinthians 5 to preach out of for tonight. So turn your Bibles, if you have it, to 2 Corinthians 5. 2 Corinthians is after 1 Corinthians, <laughs> which is after Romans. It's kind of near the end of the Bible. 2 Corinthians 5. I've got the NIV tonight. 
can be preaching out of it. Someone's a fan. That's good. Second Corinthians five, we're looking at verses one to 10. It says, now we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling, because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, we will, uh, for while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened, because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now it is God who has made us for this very purpose and has given us the spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Therefore, we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. We live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So we make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Amen. I want to focus in on two verses of this passage. I read the whole thing for a bit more context for you. But verse 9 and 10, Paul says, So we make it our goal to please him whether we are at home in the body or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. What Paul is doing here, the Apostle Paul who writes this letter to the people in the city of Corinth, he is painting a picture of what's going to happen for each and every human being someday. Every person who has ever lived in every continent of the earth, every country of the earth, no matter what language they spoke, no matter what ethnicity they had, they will all be in this situation someday. That is, they will appear before the judgment seat of Christ. It's going to happen sometime after we die, or the Lord returns, or Jesus returns, which we're waiting for, we're going to give an account for the things done in the body for the things done in this season while we're on earth in this short time. What we need to understand is that our lives are very short and that we have a short amount of time to live a life for God that pleases him. We have many troubles in life. We have many stresses. I know you got midterms coming up. This is a great message for you with midterms coming up. We're looking at something that you might call an eternal perspective. You see, we have an eternal life. Every single person had a finite beginning. Now, God had an infinite beginning. He has no beginning and he has no end. We had a finite beginning. There was a time when we were not. And now we uh, live. There's a time which we came into existence, but we're going to have an eternal life from here on in. Whether we are with the Lord or away from the Lord, whether we're in heaven, whether we're in hell, we live for eternity from now till eternity. There is no end to it. It's been said, I'm not a math major, and uh, I've, I've shared this before in different contexts, but if you take any 
finite number and you divide it by infinity, what's the answer? Anyone know? It's not undefined, but that's a good zero. The answer is always exactly zero. So if you were to live on this earth for a hundred years, that's a really long life in the scope of eternity, within the scope of eternity, you will have lived exactly zero time on earth mathematically. Pretty crazy, right? If you were to live on earth for a thousand years, say there's some elixir of life, someone solves, you know, the cause of death and you could live for a thousand years. If you did that within the scope of your eternal existence, you will have spent exactly zero time on earth mathematically. Pretty interesting. Hey, we think that life is kind of long, you know, especially when you're in, in school, right? This is so long, you know, it's four months or three months. I can't wait till it's done. You know, three months in eternity is, you know, a lot, well, exactly the same amount as, you know, hundred years mathematically, of course. Uh, and so we have a limited amount of time now to live well for God and then we'll live eternally with him if we've trusted in him for salvation forever. And God's going to grant us reward on the basis of how we lived our lives on earth. The day you stand before the judgment seat of Christ, that that day, that very real day, is going to be the most important day of your eternal existence possibly apart from the day of your salvation. That day, we're actually going to stand before a man. Jesus is a real man in a resurrected body. He's a Jewish man. He looks Jewish. You know, whatever you think Jewish people look like, he looks like that. And he's sitting on a throne, and we're going to actually encounter him someday for real, we are going to stand before him and it won't be long from now. It's going to be in a very, very short time. And what I want to to really drive home and cast vision for tonight is that day and this truth that what is important to us on that day really needs to be what's important to us right now. Whatever you think will be important to you on the day you stand before Jesus needs to be important to you right now or you are living a lie. You are fooling yourself. You are living in deception. Someday we're going to stand before him and it's going to be a glorious day. But we're going to be called to give account for the things we did in the body. And so the Apostle Paul, his conclusion to this image that he's painting, he's got one conclusion. He says in verse 9, so we make it our goal to please him. Bottom line. That's it. We make it our goal, whatever we're doing, to please him so that on that day we will hear him say, I'm pleased with you. 
I've been pleased with the way that you lived your life. Here is your reward for eternity. You talk about investments. Investments on earth are wise, you know, to save money, to make investments, that sort of thing. But how much more wise is it to store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, right? While you're on this earth, because you're going to enjoy those treasures forever when the temporary treasures that people build up on earth, you enjoy them for 40, 50, 60 years, and then they're done. Then they end up burning in the end. We have eternal lives, and this time on earth is very short. Things are not actually as big a deal as you think they are. Amen? Anyone? Like, we get so stressed out about things that in the scope of eternity mean basically nothing. What's going to matter to you on that day when you stand before Jesus? Okay. Uh, Let us get into this. When you're living to please God, what it means basically is that you are not living to please your parents. That's not the goal of your life. It's good to please them, but that's not your primary objective. When you're living to please God, you're not living to please your teachers. I don't know. Maybe you don't care about that, you know? Maybe you really don't. Your professors, I don't know. Maybe you don't care what they think of you or not, but you don't please your professors. That's not primary. That's okay, but it's not the most important thing. You're not living even to please your pastors. You're not living to please Rona or your familial leader. It's good to please them, but that's not the driving force of your life. You're living to please God. You're not living to please friends. You're not living to please people who you think are cool or you like or you look up to. You're living to please God because when you live to please any human being on earth, You will be disappointed every time. You will end up stressed out, living in anxiety and fear because that is the nature of pleasing people on earth. I learned that even like I get caught sometimes up into or I have in the past and every once in a while I have to check myself even trying to please Pastor Christian and that being like the driving force of my ministry. Like if that's the most important thing to me, Pastor Christian is the lead pastor of our church, if you didn't know who he is, of of, uh, New Philadelphia Church. If my goal is to make Pastor Christian happy, like that's the biggest thing for me, that is going to leave me totally stressed out. It, It just will. And it has. In the past, I remember like, when, when the revelation hit me, one time I was, I remember exactly where I was walking in, in like near Itaewon when the office was there and like, I should know better really, but I was walking on the street and the revelation hit me, man, I need to live to please God and not PC. Like that, that's not the goal of my life. I want to please him. He's my pastor. He's my leader. He's my spiritual father. He's my shepherd. I want him to be pleased. But if that's the driving force of my life, if that's the motivation of my heart, I'm totally going to be stressed out. And I, I still have to check myself. Is this what I really want? If you live to please people, it will end up in stress and anxiety and disillusionment. 
every time. When you're in school, are you trying to get top grades because of your parents? Is that the driving force behind what you're doing in school and all the work and all the effort you're putting into things? It's not bad for your parents to be pleased. It's good for your parents to be pleased. But if that's your primary motivation, you're missing it. And you will be stressed out. If your goal is to please God. See, God does not give as the world gives. Jesus tells in John 14, my peace I leave with you. I don't give as the world gives. The world gives stress. The world gives anxiety. Jesus gives you peace. Because he's big and he knows what you need. He is faithful to provide every time. When you live to please him, guaranteed you will not fear because he is perfect love and perfect love casts out fear every time. As you prepare for your midterms, keep this in mind. Live to please God. Study unto the Lord. His yoke is easy. And his burden is light always. Living to please the Lord. When I, when I was younger, when I was in high school, I, I went to, um, to a private high school. It was, had high academic standards, that sort of thing. And I was driven to do well academically. And the thing is, I was not driven to do well academically, and academically because of my parents. Or sorry, because of the Lord. I was because of my parents. And because of teachers and because of friends, it was everywhere really but the Lord. And naturally, I experienced stress doing that. I did, I was involved in all sorts of things. I was kind of an overachiever in high school. I was involved in sports. I I played hockey and I wanted to excel in hockey, not because it pleased the Lord, not because, you know, I wanted the Lord to be pleased with how I, you know, played hockey and how I interacted with my teammates, that sort of thing. I did it to please people. I did it because I loved it, but I wanted to excel really to please people. I was involved in drama. I was involved in music. I was involved in all these different things. And my goal, the motivation of my heart was not to please the Lord. It was to please people. And I ended up stressed out. And trying to get these high academic standards, that sort of thing, I, it was always a source of stress for me growing up. When I got to college, similar things. It was like I had this it was like I had this addiction to like getting high grades. I don't know if you experience that here. It was like I, I felt like like I didn't know how to do it any other way. Like I have to do it. And I would try to convince myself and I was, you know, I was a believer and I was maturing as a believer. In the back of my mind I knew I need to live to please the Lord and just, you know, chill out and not stress out. But you know, I struggled with it. You know, I just, I felt like, like I would try to lay it down. I would try to lay down like a particular paper or an exam. And I'm like, it's okay if I don't do that well in this. It's okay. It's okay. And I would try to convince myself that, that, that it was okay. And then I get like an A minus or a B plus. And I, I get it back. I'm like, no, <laughs> this can't be. You know, I just, and it felt terrible. You know, and I felt, you know, I felt totally unsatisfying even though I had told myself and tried to convince myself, you know, it's okay. It's not the end of the world. Think with an eternal perspective, you know, think John, think with an eternal perspective. But that's the way that I viewed life. And it was a real struggle for me. 
But uh, I realize through this time, one, one thing that I realize, and this will be maybe an encouragement for you, that when you stand before the judgment seat of Christ, what Jesus will most likely not be holding in his hand is your university transcript. I can't say that for sure because the Bible doesn't tell me otherwise, but I'm pretty sure that's not the most important thing to him. We're going to talk about what is the most important thing today, living to please the Lord. Now, when we get into this, I need to lay a certain foundation for us so that we understand this properly. Because if I don't, it's going to go in the wrong direction, this message. Here's the foundation, talking about pleasing the Lord. What's made clear to us in the Bible is that when you come to Jesus, your starting place is the pleasure of the Lord. When you come to Jesus, when you surrender your life to him, you start with the Lord saying to you, well pleased, I am well pleased with you. This is what we learn from the baptism of Jesus. It's in Matthew 3, it's in Luke 3, two different accounts, but they say the same thing. It says that the Lord, at Jesus' baptism, he's 30 years old, he hasn't done any public ministry. He hasn't done, you know, anything that we see written in the Bible, like the miracles, like the, the uh, messages, the sermons, that sort of thing. He hasn't done any of that from all we know. And the Lord looks down on him at his baptism when he's 30 years old. And he says, my, uh, he says, this is my son whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. Before he did anything, he didn't do anything that God had called him, the father had called him to do, you know, in life in terms of, you know, bringing people to himself and dying on the cross or anything else he was going to live to do. He hadn't done any of that. And God, the father looked down at him and said, I'm well pleased with you. I'm happy with you. That was his starting place. That was his foundation. We talk about uh, Ephesians 1. This is, Ephesians 1 is incredible. We're going to have to turn there right now. Turn to Ephesians 1. It's a bit after 2 Corinthians, a few books later. Two books later, really. Ephesians 1, verse 3. I'm going to read all the way to verse 14 because it's all amazing. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. 
And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Amen. Now, I have to, I have to read through that fast because it was a large section. But I want us to, to really get this. It says in verse 3, that God has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Again, we're talking about your starting place, your foundation. When you come to Christ, you haven't done anything yet in ministry. You haven't led any, you know, familia. You haven't, you know, witnessed to anyone, shared the gospel with anyone. You just come to Christ. This is your starting place. Every spiritual blessing in Christ is yours right now. That means that God could not think of one thing that he would give you in the mind of God, like the God-sized brain. He can't think of one more thing that he could give you that he hasn't already given you. It's all inside of you right now. By the spirit of God, it's actually inside of you. That's a, That's amazing. Like, if you question whether or not God is for you, he's for you. Believe me. Like, he's deposited so much in you that you don't even realize yet by the Spirit of God. Okay? Check this out. These are the, some of the verbs and the nouns that express what God has done for us in Christ just in this passage. Where is it? Yeah. Blessed, chosen, predestined. Adopted, redeemed, forgiven. I want you to actually close your eyes right now. Put out your hands in a receiving posture. I'm going to speak these things over you. If you belong to Christ, these things are yours. You are blessed, chosen, predestined, adopted, redeemed, forgiven. Blessed, chosen, redeemed. Uh, predestined, adopted, redeemed, forgiven. Let that soak in. Blessed, chosen, predestined, adopted, redeemed, forgiven. And man, you haven't done one thing to earn that. That's what God's just given you. That's, that's foundation. That's the starting place. And on top of that, he's given you the greatest gift he could give you in his very spirit. God himself has taken up residence inside of you. He's given you everything you could possibly need. You're fully equipped, you know. And that just, some stuff just needs to come out and be matured in you, but it's all in you, you know. There's also nothing you can do to make God love you more. And there's nothing you can do to make God love you less. You can't earn the love of God. This is also foundational. This is your starting place. God is completely in love with me. Totally. God's crazy about me. He's thinking about me right now. He actually is. God's that big. He can be thinking about all of you right now. 
in a very individual sense. And in a corporate sense here, God's looking down at SNU Emmaus and he's thinking about us here right now because he's totally into you guys and he totally loves you. That's your starting place. That's your foundation. So I need to lay that out there and really have us get it before we talk more about pleasing God because we don't want to get into a place of works-based righteousness. Like I have to please God, do something so that, you know, I have to earn something from God, earn salvation or earn this or earn that. That's not the point. The point is you have a foundation. It's all given to you. And this is, this is a crazy thing. This like, this is what separates Christianity from every other religion in the world. Every other religion in the world, your starting place is you must earn, you must strive, you must try, you must do something. That is starting place. Starting place of Christianity is blessed, chosen, predestined, adopted, redeemed, forgiven, loved by God. That's what grace is. No one did a thing to earn it. We start there and then we start living. You're equipped with the Holy Spirit. You start there, you start living from there. And that's where you live your life to please God from. We got, we got that? That is so foundational. And actually when I was preparing the message, uh, I was working through it even actually earlier today. I was thinking, man, I, I kind of want to just stay right here. And just soak in that truth. Just soak in that reality that this is, this is what we have in Christ forever, you know? But I felt the Lord say, you know, keep moving on. There are more important things for tonight for these students to get to. But that foundation must be in place. We start with righteousness. We're not trying to earn righteousness or strive for righteousness. Christ has made us righteous. Righteousness is block one. Foundation, starting place. We're righteous, now let's live. Okay? So, this is the kind of message that I could spend all night going through the Bible and talking about ways to please the Lord because the Bible is full of it. It's not hidden in the Bible. It's there for anyone to find. These are different ways we can find out what pleases the Lord, you know? How do we live to please the Lord? But I felt like God was highlighting a couple of different things to share in regard to this, to make sure we get those tonight, and then you can spend as much time as you want searching the Bible. How can I please the Lord? Within the context of me understanding that someday I'm going to stand before Jesus in heaven. And that day is going to happen really soon. So we need to start investing in that now. Here's one thing that was on my heart. For pleasing the Lord on earth. Be faithful to what you know God has called you to. Be faithful to what you know God has called you to. Let's turn to Matthew 25. Have you guys flipping around? Matthew is beginning of the New Testament, a bit before 2 Corinthians, where we were before.
if you're interested in spending more time in this later, it's, it's kind of neat. I'll just kind of throw this out there. Matthew 24 is an incredible chapter about the end times. If you want to read about the end times and what things are going to look like before Jesus returns and when Jesus returns to earth, Matthew 24 explains that, and it sounds pretty incredible, kind of crazy, you know. Uh, but then Jesus goes on, Matthew 25, basically to explain, because I am coming soon and things are going to be the way they are, this is a great chapter for preparing for that. Matthew 25, Jesus tells three parables basically about how to prepare for the coming of Jesus. So if you want to be ready for when he returns, if you want to be ready for the most important day of your eternal existence, Matthew 25 is a good place uh, to spend some time. We're going to look at verse 14. I'm reading some long passages today, uh, but I'm going to read this again. And actually this time, I want you not to read. I want you to close your eyes, unless you fall asleep. Then just open them, keep them open. But I want you just to get a picture of this story that Jesus tells. Jesus, he was the, the best storyteller ever. And the Gospels are full of stories that he was telling. And so I'm going to tell a story that Jesus told to drive home a point. He's talking about the end times. That's the context for this. He says, again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, and to another one talent, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received the five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one with two talents gained two more. But the man who had received one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received the five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servants. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with the two talents also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one talent came. Master, he said, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew I, was a har I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed? Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the banker so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. Take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For everyone who has will be given more, and he, and he will have an abundance. Whoever, whoever does not have, even what he has, will be taken from him. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Wow, serious stuff. Jesus was intense, you know, when he told stories. 
here's the basic point of the story. You've got three guys who were entrusted different things from the Lord. Different things from the master in the story, but it's pointing toward God and what he's entrusted to us. One person was entrusted with ten talents, another, or sorry, five, another one with two, and one with one. And the first two were faithful with what God had given them. The last one was unfaithful with what the master, who is God in this sense, and didn't do anything with it. God has a great calling on your lives. And you may know that calling to a greater or lesser degree right now. But God has specifically called you to do things in the, in the big picture and in the short term. You know, for the rest of your life and in a daily sense. But there are things that you know God has called you to do. And he's looking for you to be faithful with those things. What God's not looking for you to do, particularly if you're not called to it, is go solve world hunger. You know? Like, like go save the world. Or go establish, you know, by yourself, go establish peace in the Middle East. You know? Stop these nations from warring with each other. You know? God's not calling you to something like that for most of you. God's got a great calling for your lives, but he wants you to be faithful to that calling. For me, it's been a process to learn what God's called me to in my life. I can share when I was in, right out of high school, I ended up going to a Bible college. And I was only going to go for a couple of years or for a year, uh, just spend some time there, uh, you know, before, and like invest in my relationship with God, that sort of thing, before, you know, getting on with real life, going to university and that sort of thing. That was kind of my mindset. But I kept going with that degree over time. And while I was there, people kept telling me that they saw a call for pastoral ministry on my life and for more like lead pastoral ministry, to lead a church and to, you know, preach Sunday by Sunday and that sort of thing. People were telling me, you need to keep going with this because we see that in your life. And those are like my friends talking. The thing was that I was, I felt something very different stirring up in my spirit. It wasn't, I guess, very different, but it was a, co- a totally different focus in that I felt called to music. And at that time, I wasn't the most skilled musician. I was at a college where there were lots of skilled musicians, like really great singers, great guitarists, great keyboardists, that sort of thing, like really, really good. And I was, I was, I was like mediocre, you know, musically, but I was growing in it and I felt a stirring for it. I felt an anointing for it. I had a love growing for it. And I felt like, you know, I think this is something that I want to do. And I ended up taking one course in college regarding uh, worship ministry. And in that course, I felt a stirring. I felt myself coming alive. But in the back of my head, I was thinking, all of these people are 
telling me, and they weren't like spiritual authorities either. They were like friends. They were telling me, you should do this, man. You, you should like keep going with like the lead pastoral type stuff. And so in my mind, I thought, you know, to be a worship pastor or to do music isn't really a legitimate pastoral role. You know, lots of churches don't even have that role. You know, lots of churches, they don't, they don't pay people to lead praise. They don't compensate them or anything. So I need to keep going with something that is more practical or something that my, you know, my friends are telling me I should do or something that in my mind is just more legitimate, you know, to be a pastor. And so in that season, I kept moving toward that, towards, you know, being a, a lead pastor type person. That was what my studies were geared towards at that time, you know, to preach on a Sunday by Sunday basis. But I felt like I was missing it. You know, God was showing me that he was calling me to something different. And at that time, I didn't get it. It took a long time, many years, for God to really grab a hold of me and say, look, I'm anointing you and calling you to raise up worshipers, to help people worship. That's what's on your life. You're going to preach, like I'm doing tonight. You're going to preach. You're going to have a leadership role in church but I'm calling you to focus on music and worship. And when I finally, I spent a while just kind of running away from that when it came down to it. And uh, it was my first year in Korea. I came out to teach English. I was basically, I spent a year because I, you know, I wasn't getting it in terms of my ministry calling. I wasn't feeling right about it, you know, lead pastoring because obviously I wasn't feeling right because I wasn't called to it. And so I, uh, I spent a year in Korea, you know, just kind of get away and uh, seek the Lord in a new place, that sort of thing. And I put my guitar away. I didn't touch my guitar for like six months or something, which for me was a big deal. I just, I just wanted to just leave it and say, no, I'm going to focus on other things. And then I was... Uh, going on a missions trip to Japan with the church I was at at the time. I was at Ondari Church at the time. And uh, while we were getting ready for the trip, it was actually the worship pastor of Ondari, big church, uh, big English ministry. She was on my, on my missions team. And so I'm thinking, okay, for sure I'm not going to say anything about leading praise. Like I, I'm just like little John, you know, I, I'm mediocre musically and that sort of thing. And uh, this is the worship pastor of a big church, so I'm not going to say anything about anything I'm able to do on the mission field. But I felt God say, you know what, just, just let her know. Just share with her that, you know, you have gifts and abilities in leading praise, just, just so she knows. And so, in obedience, I did that. And when I told her, she was like, great, you know, bring your guitar, let's do, let's just play, let's, let's lead praise. I'm like, okay. I'll bring my guitar and lead praise. And once I started doing it, this life started to bubble up inside of me. And I started to realize, again, my, I, I'm actually called to this. You know, it's something I, I love doing. If you're at New Philly and you were at Sunday Swim a couple of weeks ago, Pastor Jam was talking about this, about your prophetic identity. I don't know if you remember that. And he was saying, you need to ask yourself three questions. Ask yourself, and you might want to write this down because this is important for you if you're writing down things tonight. Ask yourself three questions. Ask yourself, what do I do exceptionally well? 
You know, what, what is it that I do? I just do with a level of ease. I do it well. Secondly, he said, he asked, uh, what do I really enjoy in the church? What really helps me come to life? Whether I'm leading it or involved in it or not, what really helps me come to life? What do I enjoy? You know? And thirdly, what prophetic words have people spoken over my life in regard to my calling? And he said, at the end of that, he said, you might not have a, a clear answer to any of those three questions right now. You may or you may not. But as you get clarity in that, you're going to grow in your understanding of what God's calling you to. And the thing is, you want to be faithful what God, to what God's calling you to. If I were to strive after a lead pastoral role, preaching every Sunday, that sort of thing, like what PC does, if I were to have in my flesh striven after that and just done it, you know, for my life, having been called to do something different by God, I would stand before Jesus someday. And he would say to me, John, what did you do with the gift and calling I gave you? You know, you thought you were doing something good. You know, you thought you're going to be a pastor. You know, you're going to serve people. You're going to love people that way. What did you do with the calling I gave to you? Where is that? Where is all the fruit that you would have borne had you just obeyed me and gone with my plan for your life? All that fruit now is nothing. Where is that? And for me, that's a sobering thought. What do you know God is calling you to do? And how can you be faithful to it? Another thing that I'd gone through recently, I'll share this, this quickly, briefly, in terms of something I knew God was calling me to was my marriage to Pastor Anita. Now, maybe you, if for those of you who were at Furnace on Saturday, the leadership meeting there, PC kind of spoke briefly about it. And if you've been around for a while, he's you know, spoken about it a bit. You might know a bit of our story, uh, but Pastor Anita's family was completely opposed to our marriage. They, you know, they're a believing family, they're Christians, but for different reasons, they, they knew I was a Christian, they knew I was a pastor, but they were firmly opposed to us getting married. And so we had to walk through that, believing that God was calling us to marriage. He was calling us specifically to walk down that path, no matter what our parents thought, no matter what, you know, our teachers thought, whatever it might have been, no matter what our friends thought, the rest of our families, no matter what they thought, we felt convicted by God, we're supposed to take the steps to get married, and we were blessed in that way by our spiritual covering, by Pastor Christian and Pastor Aaron. But there were hard, hard times. There were times where I could have easily, like, given up and said, this is just, is this worth it, you know? Is it, is it the right thing? Not even is it worth it. Is it the right thing 
You know, if, if, I, if our parents are saying no, then is this still the right thing for my life? If I would have had my focus on pleasing our parents, then we would, prob- we, we would not be married today. Olivia would not exist. And that would be a shame. <laughs> you know? And I remember one time just sitting and, and spending time with the Lord while we were dating and working through these things and thinking, man, we just, maybe we have to break up or maybe we have to, you know, just indefinitely postpone things. And I felt God whispering to me, John, I'm pleased with your faith. John, I'm, I'm pleased with your faith. Keep going. And we had our wedding and, and Pastor Anita's family, her parents, didn't come to the wedding. I, Pastor Christian actually walked Pastor Anita down the aisle as a father figure for her. And that was a very hard thing for us to go through. But if I would, by the end of my life, appear before the Lord, not having done that, walking a different path, God would hold me to account for not being obedient to what I knew he was calling me to. This goes for a lifelong type thing. This goes for daily things. If you feel God's calling you to talk to a classmate and share the gospel with him, you know God's calling you to do it. But you say, God, I can't. I'm too scared. Not now. I don't have time. Whatever it might be. God is saying, are you going to live to please me? Or are you going to live to please someone else? Are you going to live to please yourself? Whatever it might be. Living to please God. Be faithful to what you know he's called you to. That's the first thing in terms of living to please God that I want to highlight tonight. Only one other thing that I wanted to highlight tonight from the word of God in terms of pleasing him. The simple command of the Bible. Love one another. Love one another. When you stand before the Lord someday in heaven, in glory, he's going to be looking at you and say, did you live a life of love? Or did you live a life that was driven by other priorities or intentions or motivations? The Apostle John, something very fascinating about this man, He was John the Beloved. He was the one who Jesus was perhaps closest to when he was on earth. He's the only apostle who lived to an old age. Everyone else was martyred at a a younger age. He lived to an old age. And so what he would do, he would gather groups of believers around him. And it may have, well, he was pastor in Ephesus. So it was primarily the, the group of believers there as an old man. And he would just have them sit down and he would share this simple message. Now, a man who walked with Jesus while he was on earth, who walked with Jesus after that for a long life of faithfulness, he boiled down the Christian life to one phrase, basically. He said, dear children, love one another. Like, it's kind of an older man who, like, who wanted to give a younger generation the most important thing that he could give them. Like, if you focus on anything in life, love one another. 
It says in First John 4, verse 7 and 8, it says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love comes from God. And everyone that loves is born of God and knows God. He who doesn't love, loves not God. He doesn't love God, for God is love. He says, if you claim to love God, but hate your brother or hate someone, he says that you're actually a liar. The love of God's not in you. You don't have love. You don't actually love God. He says, live a life of love. Whatever you do, live a life of love. 1 Corinthians 13 starts this. It's a famous love chapter. You've probably heard it, you know, a number of times for many of you. He says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of knowledge and can fathom all mysteries, if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and knowledge, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. You know what he's saying? If you don't do what you're doing out of love, it's credited, credited to you as nothing in heaven. It's, it's like you're a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. It's nothing. It's all like nonsense noise to God. If I were to preach this message and it wasn't because I had love for you and love for the Lord, it would mean nothing to him. It would be this cacophony of sound to him. It would be this this mess of noise. But if I have love in my heart for you, if I'm doing it because I love you, God says, yes, that's where I want you to be. If you're studying in school and you're not doing it with any love for God in your hearts, that's a problem. Man, if, if, you're not, if, if the love of God's not what's driving you, that God's saying you're off. You're off course. Do what you do because of love. Let your excuse be for whatever you do in life. I did it because I love God. That's an awesome excuse, right? Let your, like you can, you can excuse whatever you do, you know? Whatever you do, now you should do it with biblical understanding and with like, like don't just do it foolishly, but let your excuse be, I did it because I love God. I helped that person the other day because I love God. Because I love God, I love them. I helped that person with their studies because I love God. Because I love God, I love that person. I did it out of love. I shared the gospel with that person because of love. Let that be your excuse. One more scripture here out of 1 Corinthians 4, 5. This is one of the most, you don't have to turn there, I'll just read it out. Something, one of the most sobering passages of scripture for me in the entire Bible says this. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait till the Lord comes. 
He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of men's hearts. At that time, each will receive his praise from the Lord. Do you know that every motive you've ever had is going to be exposed someday? Do you know how many motives I've had that are wrong, that are off? In ministry, it's actually really easy to have wrong motives. To do something, to be like a people pleaser. Or to to want people to think well of me. Oh, I, I need people to think that I'm great. I'm Pastor John. I'm, I'm a, you know, I'm a great person. I'm an upstanding individual, you know. And I, I can even like for me, I can get caught in that where my motivation is not to please the Lord. It's not to love people. It's to make me look good. And God says, someday the motives will be exposed. So watch yourself. Let, let what you do be done in love. Love one another. Because someday we're going to stand before the Lord. It's going to be a glorious day. Now Jesus is a man who is made perfect. He's not made perfect. He is perfect in love. He's always been perfect in love. When we stand before him, he is going to be that, that perfection of love. But his eyes are going to be like fire. And his face is going to be like the sun. His hair is going to be white as wool. His voice are like waters. That's the image we're given in, in Revelation 1. And he's going to look at us and say, what did you do with your life? What was the motivation behind what you did? Were you living to please your parents? Did you make decisions primarily on the basis of what will please my mother? What will please my father? What will please my pastor? Or did you live to please me? We make it our goal to please him. For we will all appear before him one day. I want Bo come and just play a bit. I just want to let that sink in a little bit. We're not going to have any altar ministry time or anything like that tonight. But I just want to, to let the message sink in for just a moment.